You are listening to the Tech Chef Podcast, episode number 23, October 14th, 2020. This show is produced in partnership with Hospitality Technology and Restaurant Technology Network. Smarter hotels, smarter restaurants. Strategy, business continuity. How about a taste test of restaurant technology? Drive through or curbside, mobile apps or AI. It's all on the menu, cooking up for the day. It's a recipe for success. You're in good hands with a tech chef. Make a plan to be your best. Strategize with the tech chef. Hello and welcome back to the show, and thank you so much for taking the time to download and listen. I am your host, Skip Kimple, otherwise known as The Tech Chef. For all of you who left us a five-star rating and a comment, thank you. For those of you who have not done so yet, get to it. Just kidding. It really does help the show with its rankings, so if you would be so kind to take the time to do that, it would be very much appreciated. I do realize that we are all busy. I totally get that. Today, I am recapping day number two and the final day of the Restaurant Next conference. This has been an immersive and interactive experience like I've never experienced before. There was so much content. I'm going to cover basically just the agenda from today. However, there's still a lot of bonus content I need to get to, basically on-demand content, and luckily they're going to be having that material up on the website for the next 30 days. So the good news is I can go back and do some more recording and possibly get you some more uh, feedback and recaps of some of that other amazing content. Now, if you're listening to these two shows and you realize, hey, you know what? I want to go see what this is all about. I want to experience this this crazy event that I keep hearing you talk about, Skip. Well, I might have an idea for you. If you reach out to Angela Diffley at the Restaurant Technology Network, she's going to get you set up so you can get access to all this great content. It really would be worth your time to go check it out and hear all of the great things that they had to offer. Today started off in a big way with the keynote, spotlighting White Castle's technology initiatives. Both Susan Carol Bozer and Mike Guinan talked a little bit about how this new technology is impacting their business. Starting off, the question was asked about Flippy the Robot and where it is being used in the business. Mike Guinan talked in more detail about this. Uh, so we have actually, we partnered with Mesa Robotics probably about 12 months ago, and it's been a great partnership so far. Uh, we are using Flippy, we're going to rename Flippy from Flippy, but um, we're, we're using Flippy in the fryer area. Okay. So we've worked with Mesa Robotics to basically develop um, a robot on a rail. So it works on a rail system. There's hardware above the fryer area, which allows Flippy to go back and forth from the input side, which is where all the frozen items are, into the basket into the fryer and of course then Flippy puts them on the output side for the team member to package them and prepare them for customer consumption. Susan noted that the use of Flippy in the fry area is the best use of robotics within their industry at this time. Mike chimed in about all of the data that they're collecting from these robots 
Eventually, it's going to allow the GM to be able to predict uh, what to order and eventually help them with the profit margin of that restaurant. These two then dug into their drive through strategy, which is on the top of everybody's mind. For me, this is one of the biggest areas of innovation. You know, we're partnering, we have a number of partners on this project, but the lead partner is MasterCard, and we are working on a voice recognition system for the drive through that's um, natural language processing. And, you know, the goal would be that the center part of our menu board is digital and, and responsive to the customer, both what they're ordering and um, showing them what they're ordering, but also giving them suggestions passively on the screen, but, but also talking to them and giving them suggestions um, actively. And it's, it's, a, it's an exciting way to think about our ordering process. And then we're putting a lot of other technology on top of it. As we go along, we have uh, a recognition. We have the two kinds of users that'll be coming through this experience or customers. The first one would be a customer who just everyday customer and then our loyal customers. And our loyal customers will get chances to opt in in different ways. The first phase will be they opt into our program, we'll recognize they're there, let them order past orders, let them do all kinds of different things to the board. And then eventually we're gonna tie our loyalty program into the board and then it'll all come together. With their app, they are using geofencing and beacons to target guests for offers. AI is an important part of their strategy so they can present to their customers offers based upon that guest preferences. And while it's in the lab right now, AI is being tested with their drive-through concept as well. You know, people always say, don't be afraid to fail. Um, I, I like to think, don't be afraid that you're going to fail and you're gonna keep going and you're gonna make it better, right? Like you're gonna figure out how to make it work. And um, having your expectations be in the wrong place and new innovation, where you think perfection is gonna start, you're, you're gonna have to deal with a lot of rough times for a while. After hearing about some of the longevity of the employees at the company, it was interesting to find out that the average manager has 21 years of service under their belt. The question was asked, what causes this longevity? Well, Mike said it's that family feeling. The team takes a new member in under their wing, and it's not just on the restaurant side. It is also prevalent in the home office as well. And they're going to be having a big celebration next year because they will be hitting their 100th anniversary. To close this section out, here are some words of wisdom from both Susan and Mike. Some of my first advice is to, when you are taking on a partnership, to really think bigger picture on the partnership from the very beginning, to make sure you know how it fits into your systems. I mean, it's really easy to rush into a project and, and try to make it as easy as possible to get it over with. And that's not the bigger picture. And taking your time to think about um, do you do you want to set this up differently because you can see use of this other product that you might create later on or getting them standardized to an API that you want to use with other partners on the open API for RTN is a good example. But, you know, where do you want to go with the larger partnership, not just with that person sitting in front of you, that vendor, but but what you want to do um, as, as a company expanding maybe that potential of that product. And, and I, I uh, my advice is when you're going into a major project, think big, not about that project, about the whole bigger picture and, and make sure that you, you have a plan for the whole technology, not just that technology. I'll just add on to what Susan said. I mean, she's obviously, you know, hit the nail on the head. For me, it's, it is, again, just thinking longer term, mm -hmm. you know, th think, think a couple of years out, where do you see this investment going in a couple of years? Think, think definitely long term. Um, I would also say make sure that your team has a seat at the table mm -hmm. and has a share of voice because with that seat at the table and the share of voice comes the investment.
And I think that's something that we do very well with including including as many on the front end so mm-hmm. that we have that buy-in so that you end up with a successful product. And then it, we talked about it earlier, anticipate failure throughout the, throughout the project, but learn from that. Fail yeah. fast and learn from it and keep moving. When you are going into a major project, think big. I love that. Now, if you'd like to hear more from Susan and Mike, you can go to the Tech Chef podcast, episode number 15, and I have a whole episode dedicated to their tech initiatives. The first panel of the day was Loyalty 2.0, Points, Perks, and Profits. This talk was all about the hottest trends in next-gen loyalty, going far beyond points and rewards to leverage in-depth customer understanding and habits to provide world-class service and opportunities for upselling. Al Hank, Senior Vice President of Ops for Famous Dave's, talked about the importance of segmenting their loyalty data to have customized and one-on-one conversations with their guests. Reed Daniels, CEO of Red's Savory Pizza, said they launched a new online ordering provider during COVID, and they chose a company that was also their loyalty provider as well. And this ended up easing their pain of integration. It allowed them to learn more about their guests and leverage customized baskets to improve profitability. It gave them the opportunity to learn what the guest has done and what they haven't done in the past related to their preferences. Now you must be asking yourself, how important are personalized offers? You know, when it comes to that personalized message, it is, hey, if I know Reed is going to be there at the Edina location, I still expect that when I go to another location or, or three other locations, they're still going to know me a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and whether or not it is uh, buying patterns or buying history or all that kind of stuff, it just matters because that's what you want is, you know, their that hometown-ish feel. Um, and that's what we can do with loyalty and some of that personalization. I think it's incredibly important to your business. Al talked about building trust with the guest. That comes through education, educating team members and the guest. Behaviors have been drastically changed over the past few months. Loyalty was the conduit for the messaging and keeping the offers relevant. As a manager, it's your job to drive the incremental visit, not the offer. Toby Malbach. Managing Director of Constrata Technology Consulting, talked about the misconceptions of loyalty programs. Uh, as it relates to loyalty, um, I think that, that both, both Reed and Al have hit the nail on the head in that loyalty isn't a, isn't a silo that exists within your organization, but it's part of a concerted effort to, to get a guest. And you, you really have to ask yourself a couple of questions when you're looking at loyalty. First of all, who is the guest? Uh, where is the guest? Um, what do they want? And ultimately, what are they willing to do or pay for? Mm -hmm. And if you can't answer those questions and get that information out of your loyalty program, then your loyalty program isn't serving you. Um, A loyalty program should be a circular conversation. So if all it is is a guest comes in and gets stuff and leaves and decides when they stop the conversation and there's little value to you, then all you're doing is giving food away. And I I contend that sometimes it's like a hamster wheel. We We teach bad behavior. Every nine, you get one. Every nine, you get one. Every nine, you get one. And all we're doing then is getting teaching them bad behavior that when they cash in their last one, maybe that's when I get off the hamster wheel. Whereas some loyalty programs are now starting to look at things like ideal customization. So not, I not only know where the guest is, but I know their preferences, likes, dislikes. And I now put a, uh, 
an asynchronous engine in place too. So to Al's point, maybe I do give them something the first time, but I don't give them something the second time. Or my program is such that they there it could be something as nominal as uh, uh, just being the first one to know about something. Toby also mentioned that a good loyalty program also has an invisible tier to it. When the group was asked about loyalty programs with best practices, it was called out that the hotel industry is doing a better job than the restaurant industry. And hotels have used their loyalty programs to veer people away from these consolidators. Restaurants need to do the same. Loyalty needs to be leveraged more. Al mentioned about converting a third-party marketplace guest by luring them in with the cheapest price. But he reminded us that consumers are loyal to these marketplaces and make their decisions based upon convenience. In closing comments, it was discussed about educating the consumer and replicating what they are currently getting from third-party delivery companies as being a key component to converting them. Our first fire chat of the day was with Gagan Sinha, Vice President of IT Retail Store Systems for Duncan Brands. Gagan talked about implementing some of the company's most innovative technologies to date, from cashierless and contactless to a drive-through of the future guest experience. The brand is staying ahead of the pack, and America is running on Duncan better than ever before. Some interesting stats, Duncan actually has 10,000 stores in the U.S. and 9,000 stores outside of the U.S. And with all of those locations, they rolled out curbside in three weeks during COVID. They also worked on enhancing the guest experience and reducing the time for a guest to receive their order. One of the techniques implemented to do this was an auto-fire method where the order was started as soon as it was placed in the app instead of waiting to fire when the guest arrived. This definitely helped out with speed of service. Another initiative during COVID is they gave the operators the ability to change the store status and the store hours, and it would then reflect on all channels. This real-time update of store hours and availability helped to maintain guest expectations. Let's find out how Duncan looks at new builds and guest satisfaction. Drive-through has been a very important aspect uh, even prior to COVID, right? So we, we always are looking at ways how to improve our guest experience, improve our drive-through speed, and all this while keeping order accuracy high, right? So we, we have been working on many initiatives, you know, even in the past. And, you know, COVID, you know, was just gave us uh, an excuse to be able to expedite, you know, some of those innovation in that in that area. And, hey, look, you know, the way I, I look at it is that, you know, uh, when we, you know, when we do story models then you know, uh, you know, we a lot of concepts focus on, you know, the experience of the guest that is, you know, inside the store. Uh, but for a concept like, you know, Duncan, where, you know, uh, 60 to 70% of our, you know, customers are going through the drive-through journey, they never enter the inside of a store premises. You know, we want to focus that we can provide the same level of, you know, uh, uh, an, an elevated experience when they go through our drive-through journey, right? Mm -hmm. So whether it's, um, uh, you know, having a digital drive-through menu board where we have the, cap you know, uh, we have the capability to be able to uh, have that one-to-one -one communication with the guests, right? Because when a car is pulled up in front of a digital menu board, you have that, you know, dedicated time where, you know, it's a one-to-one -one relationship and how do we show 
more personalized content to that guest that they can relate with, right? And and uh, based on you know what they're ordering, you know, can we recommend a suggested pairing that goes well with it? What's pretty powerful is they are leveraging their guest data and ordering data to help with a customized and personal conversation with the guest. In closing, Angela Diffley asked Gagan several questions about different aspects of IT and where it fit within his strategy. The one that stuck out to me was when he was asked about AI. Yeah, I think, you know, artificial intelligence, uh, we have to make our life easier for our guests, you know, to be able to recommend to them what's actually more, uh, what they're more likely to order and what they can relate with and what more importantly, what's their need by simplifying the menu rather than showing them a big clutter of all menu items that we have. So I think personalized content is going to be the future. Um, and, and not only on the, on the guest side, but also on the operator side, you know, how do we simplify uh, their life by using artificial intelligence to, uh, you know, automating uh, scheduling and mm. ordering so that they can have better food cost and better labor, uh, you know, rather than store managers spending many hours on it. So those are the two things that come to my mind. The panel on the contactless customer journey, I think was high on everybody's agenda here today. The pandemic has forced restaurants to embrace contactless technologies that keep customers and employees safe while keeping revenues coming in the door. This session talked about how some operators are going contactless, including some of the most innovative solutions out there, from facial recognition payments to pickup lockers and everything in between. Starting off, Ray Ledford, owner of LaBerry Bakery, started using Pop ID, which is a payment system where you can pay with your face. So basically the customer comes in, they place their order with us, they order whatever they want, they point, they don't even have to speak to us, they point, we go over to the register system, which is about three, three and a half, four feet away from the customer, we press in the mm -hmm. total into the POP ID, we walk away, they walk over, they pay with their face, they pull their mask down, um, and they literally pay with their face, we get the receipt, wow. they can they can tip on there, they can do it all. There's no carrying a credit card, there's no pulling out anything whatsoever. And the processing fees through Pop ID is cheaper than my merchant services. If you want more details about this Pop ID system, what you need to do is you go back to the Tech Chef episode number seven, where I have an interview with Yale Goldberg from Pop ID. Emma Dye, founder and chief salad officer of Crisp talked about her pickup pods to ensure the flow and the experience for the guest was efficient and effective. They chose a company called Minnow and utilized their Minnow pods. The goal is to expand the capabilities beyond the on-site guest and making the system available to third-party delivery drivers and to have a fully integrated solution. Shuba Rajagopalan, VP of IT Applications for PF Changs, talked about how their contactless payment and contactless menus is where they've been concentrating their efforts. They wanted to make sure that technology was not going to be a hindrance, so they only are choosing solutions that integrate seamlessly into their POS. Shuba also mentioned they are working on geofencing, but are struggling with the accuracy, so they are continuing to perfect this. On a closing note, all three of these individuals are very creative with their strategies, but I have to say what piqued my interest 
is that Ray mentioned they are beta testing right now the Google robot ordering system, which is kind of like an ice chest on wheels. Between the robots, Pop ID, Amazon food lockers, voice ordering, Ray is a very ambitious and innovative man. Being in the barbecue game, I was looking forward to this next fire chat with Laura Ray Dickey from Dickey's Barbecue. And the session was called Leveraging Analytics to Create a Mobile First Platform. Laura used this opportunity to explain how this famed barbecue brand has leveraged analytics to identify friction points in the customer journey and then used its in-house tech team to quash those obstacles, reducing checkout times, increasing spend, and improving customer satisfaction along the way. Similar to White Castle, this brand has been around for a very long time. It's an 80-year-old company that has over 500 locations across the U.S., with recent international expansion. They're a third-generation-owned company that bases their food on Texas-style barbecue. Laura mentioned about being very mindful of guest expectations from a technology perspective and do whatever it takes to fulfill those needs right down to the screen load time for your website. Ironically enough, their nutrition calculators helped with order conversion, which I find absolutely fascinating. Obviously, they needed to do third-party delivery integration, and with the situation of mixed POS systems because of the franchised environment, this proved to be a little bit of a challenge. Uh, disparity that you just mentioned, different types of POSs, was a huge uh, challenge for us. So we have been rolling out our own proprietary POS system, and we are uh, now a fourth of the way through the system, mm -hmm. just, just around a fourth, that are on the RPOS system. But uh, we still have, you know, again, so much of the system that is doing business with third party. And to pull all that data seamlessly into Smokestack, into our data platform. And so as we were looking at the challenge of the tablets, we were also looking at the challenge of the data. How do you track a sale? How do you manage inventory? How do you make sure that your data, when you're looking back historically, accurately reflects all of those sales? For us, as we're pulling data in uh, every 15 minutes through a smokestack, it was you know, a huge gap and that became a, you know, very spotlighted when you, we were looking at the delay in third-party reporting. It was their willingness to look at our data system and work with our folks to meet our integration needs mm -hmm. um, so that we could pull in real-time data. So that as we're looking at what we call our intraday reports that are coming in mm -hmm. every 15 minutes, we don't have that sales gap of third-party delivery. Laura says they've seen a lot more downloads of their app and involvement into their loyalty program. They will continue to leverage their app to improve guest satisfaction. Quite interestingly, I recently saw that they've launched some retail products along with a meal subscription. Hmm, taking a mental note right there. The last organized session of the day was Host Kitchens Heating Up. This session was all about exploring what's next as business models evolve like never before. From a beloved family brand innovating with new concepts to a concept that any kitchen can prepare and a completely new business model for maximizing unused real estate and chef talent to deliver exceptional culinary experiences. This panel will be talking about hot new ideas and exciting new revenue streams. The three panelists joining today was Jeff Alexander, president and CEO of WowBow, 
Sherry Landry, CMO of CEC Entertainment, and Brian Momsen, founder and CEO of Resident. Let's start off with WowBow. Talking about their expansion, Jeff discussed how they did it with dark kitchens. And we had this idea that why couldn't another restaurant sell the product out its back door third-party delivery? We already have national distribution. Our product is made frozen for us so we can get it basically anywhere. It's done by steam, which is the cleanest way of cooking and all it requires is hot water. Uh, no hood is needed. Uh, and because we're ethnic, being Asian, we have a, an appeal that most people can't cook, right? Not everyone can just start making Asian food. So we started with this it's idea of November. Sorry? It's a little intimidating. It's extremely intimidating. Yeah. It's not something that most people uh, have been exposed to. Mm -hmm. uh, so we started with this idea in November. By January, we had created an online training portal. We had created uh, reference manuals, SOPs, uh, a marketing playbook. And we launched with a sister restaurant in the suburbs of Chicago. And that restaurant uh, ended up getting hit by COVID and had to close for a few weeks. But during that time, we learned a lot about the business. And we also started talking to other uh, players and our first other partners came on board in April. And as I said earlier, now in less than, in just about six months, we've opened over 70 stores. Brian from Resident has a very interesting business model to take chefs and provide private dining scenarios for guests all across New York. It allows for an upscale restaurant or chef to expand beyond their current footprint. And it also allows them to be able to do this at a fraction of the cost of opening a brick and mortar location. Sherry from CEC Entertainment talked about their virtual brand, Pasquale's Pizza and Wings. The idea is to have a brand that can exist uh, within the current infrastructure of another brand, um, particularly restaurant business, um, well, it utilizes, you know, the, the hard costs, you know, the, the ovens, the, the refrigerators, the labor, um, um, without having to have that incremental cost as being part of the startup cost, or frankly, part of the operating cost long term. And for us, Pasquale's, um, one of the key um, parts of that business really is that we're able to leverage the infrastructure of Chuck E. Cheese. Um, and it will be very difficult, particularly in today's environment, to launch um, another pizza brand, right? Another pizza and wings brand, when you think about the cost of brick and mortar, um, the cost of infrastructure, the cost of bringing on new teams, um, when we have it all there. Um, and just like other, many other brands um, that exist who have found this new way of bringing life um, to the, the revenue stream, it's really about finding what the consumer need is, filling the space and utilizing what you have to do that. And you may not you know, be able to do that in a current brand set. It might not make sense, right? Sometimes um, brands make the mistake of trying to extend their brands too far. Um, but this thing called a virtual kitchen or a ghost kitchen um, allows you to do that and bring some life, some ingenuity uh, to the table in, in a way that just makes a whole lot of financial sense. The panel discussed about the secret of success with virtual or dark kitchens. And it all comes down to finding out what the current need is and to supply guests with what they want. And you know what? 
It might be completely outside of your normal brand, but this is how you're gonna be successful. Jeff reminded us about some of the difficulties of a virtual brand, as there is no story or history behind this new pop-up brand that you're creating. This new brand cannot be touched or felt by the public. And when you spring up a business, it's very hard to get the momentum underneath you. Now, Sherry had a different take and added on to that discussion and talked about how they leverage the big brand of Chuck E. Cheese to be able to kickstart the virtual brand. At the end of the discussion today, Brian was asked about how restaurants could create new revenue streams, and this is what he had to say. There's 24 hours in a day, right? And I would look to figure out if I had four walls that I was responsible for paying for, to find a way to monetize every single one of them. <laughs> I mean, like, you know, what is my restaurant doing in the mornings, in the afternoons? And it may not be anything related to F&B. I mean, there's a lot of concepts out there um, that you could leverage that have nothing to do with food that could create a revenue stream that is the difference between you, you know, making it or breaking it. And so, you know, these um, ideas, like the flexibility of, of entertaining um, radically different, you know, ideas um, pertaining to your ability to, to weather the storm, I think is going to be one of the keys to defining your success. I mean, you know, I think the biggest, you know, areas of opportunity occur, the biggest times of opportunity occur in periods of dislocation. I mean, this is the time to build, this is the time to innovate, and this is the time to adapt. And so, you know, I don't have all the answers. I don't think anybody on this panel does, but, you know, if you're closed-minded in terms of um, shutting off possibilities, I think it, you know, diminishes your chances of, of survival. Ah, the Open API Initiative. You've heard me talk about it so many times here on the Tech Chef podcast, and you're going to be hearing about it a lot in the future. There was a discussion within the on-demand content on the Restaurant Next website where we had several panelists join us who have been heavily involved in this Open API initiative and have been a key resource to get the project to where it is today. Chris Leibier, Chief Strategy Officer and CMO of Revel Systems, talked about how technology is more important than ever in this industry. So what is this RTN work group that we've been talking about? Robert Peterson, VP of Sales for Q, has been a critical player in this work group, and here is how he views it. So there's a couple, uh, two things that really stick out. One was um, working side by side with competitors, which I think is, is fairly new, at least for myself, I would assume for, for the rest of us on the team. Um, and also in the same format with all the brand partners. So, um, you know, for instance, Brian and I, when we did the off-prem playbook, you know, we, we worked together to build a presentation, to present it to the, to, to the restaurants. And I don't think ever in my career, I have like got on a zoom call with my competitor and said, okay, we're going to put this presentation together. And it was like working next to one of my colleagues, uh, just happened to be a competitor. So that whole spirit of doing anything we could during COVID, uh, to help, um, it came to life and it was, and there was no boundaries, which I is great. And that, that is part of the process is that we have this work group, this forum that uh, everyone comes together, whether they're a solution provider or a brand partner, ideas are shared, we get into the nitty gritty, sometimes, um, you know, we get to a point where we think, okay, I think we're okay, we got it now. And then someone raises their hand and says, well, we might have forgot this piece. And we go down a rabbit hole, uh, that's either good or bad, but we explore every option and everyone has a voice. 
Um, and there were times we were close to completion and we brought up some, some new parts of the API standard around the menu synchronization and there's some further work to do as well. Um, so those, those pieces I, I like as there is so much um, um, different viewpoints and then you throw the technology on top of it and you throw competitors working together on top of it. We're truly building a standard. I'm going to, I won't name the person, but I, I, I at one time heard a very uh, astute POS um, uh, thought leader say the good thing about standards is that everyone has their own. Um, and I want to crush that and I want to say we now have a standard. We're going to be like our adjacent uh, industries in grocery and retail and we're going to do this and we're going to make it happen. Brian Whitney, VP of Sales for Appetize, was asked, what will this framework do for your company? This enables us to go compete where we need to compete best on the service and the product that we provide to the marketplace and, and get out of the middle of which widget works with that widget. You know, I, I tell a story all the time of a very large, it was, at the time it was the fastest growing uh, fast casual brand that was blocked from integrating digital menu boards um, by their POS provider. Not for any logical reason, but just because they just did, decided not to integrate with anybody else. And this is the simplest integration. The downstream effect of that was a, a, a lack of satisfaction in the POS, not a lack of, of attachment. Um, and it caused a lot of pain for the store operators. I think, you know, I know personally, I've been very engaged on making sure that from the cashier all the way through to the manager to the home office that we're improving their lives. And this is just the perfect way to be able to do that, to enable a restaurant order to be able to go to a trade show or go to an event or hear about a new technology and not have to figure out, well, how do I make this work in my business to know if they're a member of the open API that they can take it and they can plug it in and they can see that value. And then I, as a POS operator, can go talk and understand what I can do to deliver and knowing as a part of an API that I can fit into the solution stack that they've, that they've opted into. So it, it helps us, it unlocks a marketplace, it makes a, a frictionless environment to deliver frictionless experiences for the employees and the guests. I think it's, I think it's really got an opportunity to unlock a lot of innovation in the restaurant space. If you think about a startup company being able to go in and opt into an open API standard and know that they can go work with a restaurant company that's a part of this solution, that's part of that stack. If I'm a restaurant and I'm looking to drive innovation and it's part of who I am as a brand and it's part of what I want to be able to do, you know, I think I would look at what solutions are part of that open API to know that I can, if, if at any point, if they select an appetite point of sale and God forbid we for somehow fall down, that they can pull another piece of open API and put it back in and continue their operations and drive their innovation. So it holds us responsible on a daily basis to make sure that we're continuing to deliver value to our clients and to the market. The good news is that Angela Diffley announced that hopefully we are going to have this API ready and available in January to the industry at large. So what's next? Let's hear back from Brian Whitney. When we look at the evolution of, of where we've been and the, Chris said the person years that we've wasted, that can come to a stop if the restaurants support these kinds of initiatives and they, and they work with vendors and they push, they push suppliers and vendors and partners to join us because there are some people that are missing and we need the industry to see this for, for the advantage that it will be for 
them and for their customers, because that's really what, what this is for. This has got some, makes our life easier. If it makes our lives easier, we have more resources to go do new innovation and new strategies and, and new technologies, which benefit. It is, it is a circle that will get bigger and wider and greater as more and more opt-in. There are so many good things that will be a result of the hard work that has been poured into this project. If you are interested in learning more and want to participate and help drive this initiative home, contact Angela Diffley and she will get you all signed up. And before you know it, you will be partaking in these collaborative sessions. It's as simple as that. What a fantastic conference. Once again, I can't imagine anybody else doing a better job of a virtual conference. I have to be honest, I still have not had a chance to explore all the content, so I might end up doing a bonus episode in the not so distant future to include as much as I can for all of you. I really feel like I can't leave any stone unturned at this point. I certainly hope you enjoyed these past two days and were able to get some good takeaways and maybe even open your eyes to the Restaurant Technology Network. And if you're not a member, I'm sitting here right now scratching my head and asking myself, why not? Well, if you have any questions about the RTN or you just want to send me a question in general about restaurant technology, you can do so in multiple ways. You can reach me on everything social via Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram. Uh, you can also go to the website at skipkimple.com where you can find all the shows of The Tech Chef and you can also see the show notes for each and every individual show. Now, there's another special way you can contact me, and that's by dialing 954-302-0851. You're not going to get me. Skip, why did you give a phone number out if you're not going to pick up the phone? Well, let me tell you, this number is a voicemail system, so you can leave your question there. The goal is to collect your comments. We'll play those comments on the show, and either myself or another industry expert will answer those questions for you. Next week, I am starting a new exciting mini-series on native delivery. Yep, we've talked so much about it, and it is trending in the industry right now, so let's dig right into it. I have three different guests coming on the show to talk about their take on how to solve for the problem. First up is Ryan Pershad, who is the global operations lead for GitSwift, which is a company who is a global leader in the logistics and last mile delivery sector. I personally have used their product and have a very interesting story to tell, which will be a testament to the flexibility of their software in addition to their five-star support. We are even going to talk about some details in regards to that TCO calculator that I mentioned in the native delivery session yesterday. That alone is some exciting stuff. Coming out of this conference, I feel like it's now time to say our goodbyes and head to the airport and fly home. I pray that we will all be attending in person next year at Mertech. The good news, or maybe not so good news, depending on how you look at it, is that you're stuck with me weekly until then. So on that note, let me sign off. And until we talk again next Tuesday, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay hungry, my friends. Thank you.